Hello, and welcome to the Employer Brand Shop Talk Podcast, where we break down all things employer branding and recruitment marketing into actionable steps that you can put into play at your organization today. I'm your host, Caitlin Roberts, founder and principal consultant at the Employer Brand Shop. We're a boutique agency helping companies to build and activate their employer brands to attract, retain, and engage qualified talent. And now, let's get started with today's show. Welcome back to another episode of the Employer Brand Shop Talk podcast. This week, we're chatting with Holly Middlemas, who heads up the global employer brand marketing team at Shopify. Since Shopify was one of the first companies to announce last year, after the pandemic hit, that they were moving to a digital-first environment, we spend a lot of this episode talking about what that transition has meant for Shopify's employer brand team and their strategy. I'm sure this is relevant for many of us today, so I hope you enjoy the conversation. Hi, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of the Employer Brand Shop Talk podcast. I'm super excited to be chatting with Holly today from Shopify. Thank you so much for joining us, Holly. Thank you so much for inviting me. I'm really looking forward to this conversation. Me too, for sure. So to start off, I typically ask our guests on the show because employer branding is such a strange world and people come to it from from so many different places. Uh, I would love if you could tell us a little bit about your career journey and how you, you made your way into this space. Yeah, for sure. So, you know, I think like many people, as it's such a new discipline, I, I really didn't plan to, to work in employer brand. In fact, it didn't have a name when I started off in employer brand and recruitment marketing. So I actually originally thinking about a career path for myself, I went down the publishing route. I think for no other reason other than I liked reading and I was good at English literature in class. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. I decided, okay, cool, I'll, I'll become a publisher. So I actually ended up taking a master's in, in publishing. And, you know, I really enjoyed the course, but I think after doing a few internships at places like Condé Nast and Bloomsbury Publishing, which were super highly regarded, I really realized that I just couldn't, although they were great, I couldn't work somewhere in an industry that moved so, so slowly. Mm. Um, And when I say slowly, I mean, and, and obviously working in a tech, you know, in the tech industry now, it would take months and months for decisions to be made. And even at a really young age, I think I was 21 at the time, I found that really frustrating and immediately realized, okay, I don't, I don't think that this is, this is the path for me. I, I think I figured that out during that course, which was really great for me. And after my master's, I kind of took a look at my career and where I wanted to go and decided that number one, as many new grads do, I don't want to move home to the Kent countryside where my parents live and I was in London, London at the time. So I think I did what many kind of new grads did. And I, I looked on, uh, you know, I looked online for a role and took a running leap into the world of uh, agency recruitment. And it was uh, specifically a software agency recruitment company and just really completely fell into that as a new grad. Um, and I wanted to start, you know, working, but just really didn't know what I still wanted to do. And for me, this felt like the, like the, the temporary bandaid to get onto that ladder and start figuring out. So, um, yeah, I joined, this, I joined this tech recruitment agency and I started working with a number of really high profile, interesting clients and learned a ton along the way around businesses and how businesses operate. And, you know, really started to learn these businesses inside out and what, what it actually means to work there, being a kind of a brand ambassador as a recruiter myself. And I very quickly found myself naturally leaning towards helping out with things like events for women in technology that we'd start running. 
you know, we had a company blog and I really wanted to kind of dive in and get involved from a marketing perspective. We had a social page, which I, I uh, you know, I, had, I was really keen to start running and, and get involved with. And I think, you know, that coupled with the clients that I was working with, you know, day to day, I didn't realize it at the time, but I was doing a kind of uh, element of recruitment marketing without realizing it. So I was there for about two years and I was specifically recruiting for uh, software engineers and software architects. So really got my hands dirty in understanding the complexities of that discipline. And um, yeah, after two years, I, I started to get itchy feet um, mm-hmm. and I wanted to really be within a business to help build something. And that was really what my, I think where my passion you know, came from is being able to build something from the ground up. So yeah, fortunate timing. I, I think when, as I started to feel a little bit frustrated, I was contacted by ASOS.com. Mm. So if you, if you don't know who ASOS.com are, they're a global online fashion retailer. And this role was a, it was called a social media sourcing role at the time for their engineering teams. And so for me, it was between staying where I was and earning, you know, a really healthy salary with bonus opportunities or truly following my gut into a company that I was really excited to, to build something in. Yeah, I, I chose to, to go to ASOS from there. And I think, you know, really moving over to ASOS is where the EB craft really kicked off for me and where I started to understand what it was that I was actually doing in my day-to-day role. So I was originally brought in to source software engineers, you know, via different social channels. So things like LinkedIn and, and uh, Twitter, but the role very, very quickly took on a life of its own once I was, once I was in the door and really understood the complexities of the problems that we were trying to solve at ASOS. So I think for me, one, you know, one thing that really shocked me when, when I first joined and I told this, you know, to, to the HR directors at the time was that for a company with such a strong consumer brand um, and everybody had heard of, of ASOS specifically, you know, particularly if you worked, you were lived or worked in the EMEA region. And such a strong employer brand amongst, uh, you know, fashion industry specialists. So the kind of the retail opportunities there for having such strong consumer and employer brands in those spaces, we were virtually unheard of amongst the engineering community and taken not very seriously, actually, amongst the engineering community. And I was feeling this directly in my role when I'd pick up the phone, have these conversations with these very senior engineers and say, you know, this is awesome opportunity at ASOS and uh, my response would be, mm, you sell clothes, right? <laughs> and I think for me, that was frustrating because, you know, we were consistently number one on that rated number one on the app store. The technical complexity, like complexities were so exciting and we were really building at scale, right? Within the engineering and data science teams. So for me, that felt really, really jarring sitting in that and experiencing it every day. So yeah, I, I really took it upon myself to start building out our employer brand activities. And this interestingly didn't actually start with building the EVP, um, which I know is a big like slap on, slap on the wrist now <laughs> as an established employer brand marketer. That really came like later once I moved into the role full time. Um, it really started with just shipping things, right? And getting things mm. out the door. Yeah. So, um, and trying to, yeah, problem solve as we were going. So you know, that was things like experiential and partnering with widely known engineering meetup groups, building and launching, you know, a social content strategy from scratch, which was non-existent at the time, you know, primarily on, on Twitter and LinkedIn. 
and you know really aimed at highlighting our engineering team specifically and i also work closely with the eng teams themselves and the you know diverse team belonging teams to launch the internal ergs which we didn't have so things like you know things we take for granted now that we assume every company has things like the women in tech erg and the lgbtq plus erg and it really took you know a, a, on a life of its own from there and very quickly my manager and i sat down and i realized you know this needed to be a full-time role and i think you know we were seeing such strong roi just from these very scrappy very very quick to build uh, pieces of work that i would i was doing on the side of my desk um alongside recruiting and so yeah we both agreed this needed to be a full-time role and i think that was in like the first few months of being there and i moved into an official kind of employer brand and recruitment marketing uh, role and began building the team around me and the strategy from uh from there so yeah it was you know it was a time of hyper hyper growth in the business and a ton of change which was super exciting uh you know to be able to build in that environment and build something from scratch and i think it was yeah i think it was like a really special time for me in my career now that i reflect on it you know i spent over five years there growing at that function from scratch and ensuring we were you know hitting number one employer in the uk which you know we, we did consistently and successfully and building up a really really strong employer brand across those in the markets specifically for uh, technical audience segments and yeah i think towards the end of that five years you know asos for other business reasons really slowed down and uh, the scaling slowed down with that, as as many business do businesses do, you know, after they've seen a huge period of hyper growth, which had been going on for the past four years. And yeah, I'd been there for a long time at that point. And I started, it was really time to start like flexing that building muscle again, which I think I, I was really missing. And um, that was once again, really fortunate timing for me. And I feel that there's been a series of events of like fortunate timing that have happened for me uh, within my employer brand journey. That, that that one was that I was approached by by Shopify. This was pre-COVID, so this was nearly two years ago. And the role was I was so I was in London in the UK at the time, and the role was going to be based in uh, Toronto, in Canada. And I kind of had no real intention to relocate. Um, my partner worked in tech in London and was very happy in her role and. You know, I was, I, I had a kind of support network around me in London. It was my home. But the more I went through the process, you know, with Shopify, the more impressed I was with the company and the way it kind of the way it operated and worked. So, yeah, before we knew it, we were on a plane. I don't think we even discussed it. I think we just said, okay, I think we're moving to Toronto without actually having a real conversation about it. Wow. Um, yeah, it was pretty, it was pretty shotgun. Um, so, yeah, my partner, I and uh, our little dog were on a plane and, and moved to Toronto and yeah, it was a, it's and and you know it's a really really interesting role. So I was hired to ascend. I was the first employer brand hire, and I was hired to do pretty much what I did at ASOS, right? So I was the first employer brand hire, and I was tasked with building out the employer brand team around me, and also activating our global employer brand externally. So yeah, fast forward to today, and there are a growing team of six of us. I think we're going to be growing uh, like incredibly quickly this year. And wow, six already. Wow. Yeah, yeah I know. I no that's, that's great. I know. It's, yeah, it's pretty, um, it's gone pretty quickly, which I'm, and I'm lucky the team are phenomenal. I have such a strong team around me and I always say that, you know, it's them that make me look good. So I'm very, very lucky to have, to have them on board. And um, yeah, we're, we're responsible for the global employer brand of Shopify and the team's wow. made up of growth and brand marketers and we're operating as a full funnel marketing team for, you know, EV specific audiences. And I'm sure that you've probably heard, Caitlin, that we're hiring for 
over 2,000 engineers this year. Yeah. So <laughs> our focus is primarily on senior engineering and data audiences, you know, mm-hmm. for, for, that, to, for that task specifically. That is a lot of pressure. Wow. <laughs> Looking yeah. forward to unpacking a little bit more how, how your team is going to approach that. But, but I'm curious about a number of things that you touched on and your, your career journey sounds amazing, Holly, all the way from English Lit to publishing to recruiting to ASOS, which is a brand I'm a huge fan of. I actually got my, um, my wedding dress. I loped recently. I actually got my nice. wedding dress from ASOS. So it's kind of a sentimental brand for me. But I, I'm curious, I guess, first off, so you moved to Toronto and then the pandemic hit, did you, and then you moved back to the UK. What did that experience look like? Yeah, so it was pretty wild. It was a, it was a blur, I think, of a year and a half. So yeah, we moved to Toronto and we're both obviously working in the Toronto office. So my partner is a product manager and she also joined Shopify alongside oh. me, which is great for them. I said like two for the price of one from a <laughs> relocation perspective. Yeah. <laughs> Um, and yes, we, we both joined, we both joined Shopify and I think we had about seven months of like office centricity, um, Mm. before the pandemic hit. So yeah, I think we were, I I was in the office for around seven months, which was great because I managed to, you know, build some face-to-face relationships with people and had the opportunity to meet people that now, uh, you know, I, I would never have, have the opportunity to meet them face to face. And that was a really great period of like context building for me. And there was a ton of traveling uh, involved as well. So it was a little bit of a whirlwind. And then, yeah, like one day before, like I said, it felt like it happened incredibly quickly. The pandemic hit and Shopify was one of the first companies to kind of pivot. In fact, I think I think Toby, our CEO, was potentially the first CEO to actually make the call for us to go digital by design, design fully. Mm-hmm. And I remember, I think it was March the 12th, we'd, you know, we'd all been told go home and, you know, we'll, we'll see you soon. And I remember having a conversation with one of the cleaners in the building and I was kind of joking and saying, well, we'll see each other in two weeks. Mm-hmm. Um, and now I look back at that and laugh and think, wow, I can't believe I thought two weeks time I'd be back in the office mm-hmm. um, and yeah like little did we know nobody stepped foot in the, in the office again and very quickly a uh, leadership team made the decision for us to go digital by design which is a fully remote company permanently and I think it happened so quickly that Toby Toby had a ton of foresight um, you know I remember him saying this is something that is going, you know, this is going to be something that's going to go on for a really, really long time. And it's not going, you know, work life will never be the same again. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I hold my hands up that at the time I was like, oh, I think I, you know, I, I'm not entirely sure about that. Like I felt really hesitant because it was so early on in the pandemic, but he clearly had, and he was very, very accurate that things, you know, things were rapidly changing. And we started seeing other companies then pivoting to digital by design from there. So yeah, my I ended up working from uh, the con- our condo in, in Toronto after only yeah being there for about seven months and did that for uh, about nine months, mm, continuing wow. to build the team. And then just in December, we made the decision to come back to London in the UK and work, uh, work remotely, which is a great pro of, of digital by design and remote working right and this idea of working more asynchronously so so yeah it's been a little bit of like a squiggly line um I didn't think that we'd be back in London this quickly um I'm also disappointed that we didn't get to travel Canada more because I was really mm. excited about that but right it, yeah. yeah I mean there's been there's been a ton of changes this this past year 
Right. But I'm sure post pandemic, there'll be lots of opportunities to come back and see the team here in Canada and, and explore a little bit more for sure. Yes. Yeah, of course. I think that, you know, we're figuring out how, like what, what does culture mean? And I think this is something that, you know, we'll, we'll probably get into a bit later as well. What does culture mean and re- redefining that culture now that we don't mm-hmm. have this office centricity because, you know, pre COVID Shopify was, and, and I, I know lots of people don't hate this, don't, don't like this phrase, but it was seen as the kind of Canadian darling company, right? Because we were heavily invested in Canada. We were proudly Canadian and, and still are, our, you know, our headquarters were in Ottawa my hometown oh really yeah Yeah. Mm -hmm. and and yes we obviously built you know we really invested in Ottawa um to to make it our HQ which was from a talent you know attraction perspective really challenging yeah because we've gone from you know all of our campaign work and all of our employer brand efforts were focused on largely encouraging global talent across the world to relocate to Canada Right. Um, yeah. So you had to completely, completely kind of shift that. What did that look like? Yeah. So I think just before the pandemic, and I, I laugh now when I think about this, we just created a huge video campaign trying to encourage people to move to Ottawa. And we put so much effort into it, but we looked at the hiring numbers and realized how much we needed to scale with engineering and data science like audiences. And that the majority of these people would be coming into the Ottawa offices so we really centered a lot of our work around that and around building these like key moments. We had things like, you know, like the Otter, we had an Ottawa incentive video and a huge campaign built out around it. We were just about to launch a campaign focused on Canadian expats in the Bay Area and trying to kind of encourage them to come home um, to work for Shopify. We'd um, just built a campaign around, I think, three different office openings that were happening, I think two out of three of those office openings were happening in Canada. One was in Germany, which we were, it was just very, very intentional, the work that we were doing because we felt like we had a really clear mandate and what was being prioritized and what wasn't being prioritized. Because of that, a ton of our efforts from an employer branding perspective and how we were prioritizing our time and our effort and our money was focused on those Canadian specific markets and specifically engineering and data science audiences in Canada with smaller, uh, like kind of nuggets of work happening across the globe where, you know, where they needed some attention. And all of a sudden, yeah, one day that mattered and it made sense as a strategy. And the next day we were told, you know, kind of, no, that's, we, we're not office centric anymore. Like sunset all of that work because it's not relevant anymore. So this idea of office centricity and, and centering, you know, attracting people to to Shopify and to Canada being part of our key messaging um, just didn't resonate anymore and it wasn't important. It wasn't necessarily as important. Um, And while we were still going to hire in Canada and continue to scale there massively, all of a sudden there was like a, it was a bit of an equalizer of like like challenging opportunity all at once. You know, the opportunity being like, wow, we've already already done some market research globally and understood where these like hotspots of talent were across the globe. But we'd been able to do very little with that because we were still trying to bring people into Canada. So the opportunity all of a sudden was we can hire wherever in the world. You know, and this was our, we spun up a digital by design marketing campaign off the back of Toby's DVD announcement with literally within 24 hours, which included like wow. a social campaign, a video, paid work, like a content strategy. It was huge. And it was when I say 24 hours, I mean 24 hours it was, that it was spun up and the team just did a phenomenal job. But 
once I think once that had happened, we all sat there thinking, what's next and how do we reprioritize? And mm. from a, I think from a brand awareness and affinity perspective, because we had been centering so much of our work on the Canadian market, we had very little brand awareness and, and affinity amongst these senior engineering and data science audiences in these new regions that we were reprioritizing. Mm. Right. Um, yeah. So we had, yeah. So it was a case of really like trying to build the plane while flying it. Um, I think for us, it was like, shit, okay. So we've got all these awesome regions that we can now tap into. And we were hearing from our engineering leaders, you know, awesome, like scale and hire in this place, scale and hire in that place. And uh, we were like, cool, yeah, great. Um, let's just throw out the playbook because right now we have to build both top of funnel, mid funnel and bottom of funnel all at the same time, right? So we were like building for the long term to build that awareness and affinity while also trying to immediately convert people into interview ready candidates in the pipeline. And like I said, we, you know, Shopify being Shopify and the way our entire business is modeled, we really focus on centering our merchants, which is our, our customers and, and putting them in the spotlight rather than ourselves. So unlike our big competitors, we don't have a really strong consumer brand outside of Canada necessarily, or we didn't at the time because we focused so heavily on, on, um, on centering those merchants rather than ourselves. So not only did we have low brand awareness uh, from like more of a corporate perspective, the employer brand awareness and then add that even extra layer of senior engineering and data science audiences was even lower. So yeah, it was, it, it was a big, big pivot for us. And like I said, we were, it felt like we were like ducks above water, just like scrabbling to figure out, you know, I remember conversations being like, okay, so what's the strategy? And then it being like, oh, we don't really have time for a strategy. Let's just ship and get things <laughs> moving. Mm-hmm. Um, and I quite, can't quite honestly say that that mentality hasn't changed. It's definitely got better and we definitely have a strategy in place now. But mm-hmm. it's been, um, yeah, it's been a, a huge, huge period of change and pivoting and growth for us and a challenge a, a real challenge mm-hmm. yeah a- absolutely and I'd love to like dive in a little bit and unpack some of that a bit more just in terms of I'm sure it impacted everything you do from an employer brand perspective mm-hmm. so I'd love I'd love to maybe focus first in terms of your employee value proposition or your go-to-market messaging how did you how did you decide to, to shake that up post-pandemic did you do a new sort of research project did you how did, how did you approach that piece of work yeah, so I think the you know the first thing for us was number one understanding like what are these priority region, regions because in theory we're saying we are digital by design and we can hire from anywhere but that's not currently our reality because when you actually look at the bigger picture it's not as simple as being able to immediately scale uh, in in new regions at any given time number one because of you know restrictions around entity building and all of the kind of you know boring legal stuff. There's a ton of restrictions there. Um, and number two, just the lack of infrastructure that we had set up to, to really be able to understand how we're going to be, how we were going to be prioritizing. So the first thing that we did was really leverage those engineering leadership and talent leadership teams to identify, okay, let's just take a step back for a moment and understand and understand what are those priority regions in reality. And let's break this down quarter by quarter. And what do we want to see, you know, from these 2000 engineers that we need to be hiring this year, what does that breakdown look like from a prioritization perspective, region to region? And that took some time for, for, to get that established because there was a ton, of, a ton of things that we had to unpack around 
satellite teams and asynchronous working and the reality of asynchronous working amongst amongst engineering teams. Um, but we did. We got we you know we we established a kind of a priority list of for Q1 what we were going to be prioritizing uh, prioritizing Q2, Q3, Q4. And from there, the next step for us was, as you said, really uh, understanding those key regions, those audience segments in those key regions and understanding how we can resonate with them and how we can truly localize our work based off the back of that. So um, one thing that we'd already done, like fortuitously the year before, we'd run some global qualitative market research, which covered some of these key regions. And the aim of this research was to really understand like what are the candidate drivers amongst these senior uh, engineering and data science audiences? Where do they go to like nerd out on content? How do they find and look for jobs? Like what do they care about when they're choosing a new employer? Like truly what is it that they, that they give a shit about when they're choosing a new employer? Because more often than not, uh, the results that we would get back were, were not as we'd assumed. Um, mm. And yeah. what, do they, what do they think about Shopify as well? If anything, um, what do they know about Shopify and what are, their, uh, what are their impressions? So we'd already had that research and we'd already started to build out some messaging for like building for the long term, thinking we were being very strategic and, uh, you know, getting ready for when we, were re- when we were ready to scale in those regions. And from there, we kind of took some time to unpick that and really pick it apart to understand the differences between these, you know, already very niche audience segments but looking looking at them from a very very like specific um uh, like regional lens as well so yeah it was kind of aligning on the regions speaking with those stakeholders understanding what the reality is versus what the kind of end goal is and then understanding those audiences Mm. and really unpicking that and building out our content strategy and rethinking our evp around that as well and you know like i said we didn't have time to set up a big project for the EVP and slowly unpick it and um, and build a brand new one. What we were able to do and what we did do is just start consistently iterating on it uh, until we had a pretty much brand new EVP based on the new mm. knowledge and research that we had. Um, I love yeah, that. Yeah. yeah. And it was, you know, it was a really helpful way for us to continue to ship really quickly and be super experimental while also making sure that we weren't using a really outdated EVP that was focused on, you know, we say BC before COVID. So it was a number of different things. So, you know, right. fast forward to today, we have things like uh, new pillars of messaging. Uh, before really... before we dive into those actual pillars, yeah, Holly, can I can I dive a little deeper on how you actually conducted that qualitative market research that you mentioned? Because I think that's something that a lot of our audience really struggles with because it can take a lot of resources. It can feel a little bit scary. Yeah. Most people will just kind of outsource it to an external. So I'm curious if you're able to share any information on how you actually approach that piece of work. Yeah, of course. So ours was a bit of a blend of internal work and internal teams working on it. And then uh, we did outsource some of it as well. Okay. Um, so for us, we have a really strong internal market research team who are heavily, heavily focused on like, the really kind of like quant- quantifying these talent hotspots and understanding them. But from a qualitative perspective um, at the time, and it's not, it's not uh, the same now in the business, we've adapted. Um, and we're actually launching some new research shortly. But at the time, we really didn't have the qualitative insight that we needed to ship quickly. So we decided to take that. And it's very hard. And I, I don't know whether, Caitlin, you've tried to do this before as well. But it's very, very hard to find a market research agency 
that specializes on senior engineering and data science audiences. Mm-hmm. And that was a task in itself. So I, I went around, I, I kind of was, went around the houses a little bit to try and understand how we could first do this internally and then, and then external. So, you know, we spoke to our, we have a, a another research, a marketing research team, and they came back and said, like, this is a really complex task because what we were asking were like, we want people who, you know, we want to only target. And this was the first set of research, not the research we're doing now. But the first set was we only want to target humans that, you know, have a really depth of knowledge in Ruby and React and mm. Golang and, you know, work at these specific companies and hang out here. And, you know, all, and then from a diversity perspective, we really wanted to make sure that what we were capturing was a really uh, clear reflection of those engineering audiences, which is a challenge in itself, right? Because the it's not, it's not an equal industry when it comes to diversity. So that was a very clear intention of ours that we wanted to catch, capture a diverse representation. So yeah, we, we ended up going with a talent specific research agency to capture the qualitative side of things. And then in-house, we did all of the quantitative side alongside it. So it was a bit of a blend. And I don't know whether this is usual or unusual, but it was a little bit of a blended process between the two. And the qualitative results the quantitative quantitative is always incredibly important right and that's the baseline that's where you set up the foundations of identifying these new markets the qualitative from an employer brand and recruitment marketers perspective is really where like the gold lies right that's where you get to Mm. pick apart and understand these audiences and what resonates with them yeah for for us it was a it was a big like lengthy project um but yeah it was it, it was a blend of internal and external partnership Okay, got you. That makes complete sense. And and now we can sort of switch back. I think you were just going to potentially what some of your EVP pillars were prior in, B, in the BC era, as you might say, um, and how you've kind of adjusted them now yes. uh, in this post-COVID world. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I think, as I mentioned earlier, you know, we'd built this EVP off the back of being office-centric and really putting these different locations in the spotlight amongst our EVP. And you know, while an em- a good employer brand strategy and a good EVP never centers on, you know, the kind of just the quirks and the benefits of, a you know, of office, that's like very old school mentality to have now. The, you know, the culture at Shopify from an office centric perspective was incredibly rich and it created a ton of really, really enthusiastic Shopify ambassadors internally. Um, and yeah, one day it was there and one day it wasn't. And so we had to really rethink what that meant from an external employer branding perspective. And honestly, I feel like we were really lucky because Shopify set us up for success. You know, they, re- they pivoted and rethought their approach incredibly quickly. The culture de- team did a phenomenal job of like, understanding what culture means at Shopify. And yeah, we ended up partnering with the, the internal teams as well to run pulse surveys specifically amongst our engineering audiences as well, because that's where we needed to heavily prioritize our our eyes and efforts for this year to really understand what the drivers were amongst them um, alongside of this new research that we're doing to understand what do they care about beyond the office? What do they truly value? You know, we, we know we think we know what it is, but how do we capture that? And how do we talk about that externally in the most authentic way? And yeah, that's what we did. And we, we built these, um, our new pillars of messaging off the back of that, which is one of these examples of an iteration of our EVP. Those, I, I can talk through those pillars of messaging if you're interested. Sure. Yeah. I think we, I think we have some time to, to chat about that a little bit for sure. 
Yeah, I'll, I won't be long. I'll, I'll go quickly. So the first one is mission centric, which just ensures kind of everything comes back to our mission and how we're serving our merchants. Uh, the second is craft mastery. So really positioning ourselves as like a thought leader uh, within that kind of chosen discipline across the globe as well. The third one is technical storytelling. And this is one that I just super nerd out to and love. Um, and that's going deeply technical with our content strategies and the platforms that we choose to, um, to push our employer brand out on. And the, like in a nutshell, the way I describe this one is if you're not an engineer and you're not a data scientist, if you see this content, you won't get it. And that's the kind of like the gold star for tech, the technical storytelling pillar. And then the fourth one is super interesting. The fourth one is brand adversity. And the aim of this one is to really help us leverage and lean into like the hard parts of working at Shopify, right? Like we all know an employer brand, you can't dress something up beautifully and ship it externally if it doesn't truly reflect yeah. your internal brand and how your, how your employees are feeling about the brand. And I think the plus of this one as well, and, the, and one of the aims of this one is, you know, not to get more humans in the door and more applications. In fact, the, the polar opposite, this is to reduce volume and reduce the noise and only have people mm -hmm. um, who are fully informed about the way that Shopify works and, and what Shopify does and, and like the heartbeat of Shopify and can see themselves in that as well. Um, and that doesn't mean that people don't see themselves in that are by any way a failure. It's just, you know, humans are incredibly complex and different people and it'll work for some and it won't work for others. So we really wanted to reflect that from that brand adversity pillar. So like I say, like lift the hood up and see the good, the bad and the ugly and either say, I'll put the lid back down because I don't think that's quite for me. Thanks very yeah. much. But I, I, I'm, you know, I've not got as far as clicking apply, which is great. I've self-selected out. Or people who look at me like, oh, wow, this looks really, really interesting and I want to dive in. Yeah, absolutely. I, I couldn't agree more. We actually had a really interesting conversation in season one of this podcast with Charlotte Marshall and Brian Adams. I'm not sure if you're familiar with them. Yes, I am. I've read the book. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So we, we unpacked kind of their full give and get employer branding methodology and how you know, how it helps with candidate attraction and getting people to sort of qualify in and out of your organization and how to, how to sell this approach with leadership, because it can be a little bit tricky to convince them that it's worth opening up the kimono and revealing that full experience, what's required, as well as what you get out of it. So that's, um, that's an interesting episode that I just wanted to mention in case any of our listeners wanted to dive a little deeper on that topic specific specifically as well. Um, one last question for you, Holly, again, just in the interest of time, because I think I would be amiss not to ask about one area that I think a lot of people have found particularly challenging in our new remote work world. And that is around content development. Mm -hmm. You know, we're not, we're not all in the same shared space anymore, as we've talked about a lot this episode. So, so how has your team approached being able to, to share that employee experience when it's so distributed at the moment? Yeah. So there's actually a really interesting, I think we've taken a really interesting approach to this and some of the results have been super surprising for us. So we've really, really taken on an experimental approach to our work. So we've recently started doing a ton of A-B testing, a ton of split messaging testing to really understand what resonates with our audiences. And this idea of like employer brand being people centric is a hundred percent true, right? You need to showcase your employees. Your employees are your biggest brand ambassadors and we do that and we consistently um and i'll get on to a minute like how we curate that content but a really interesting I think, thing to note here is 
we have been doing a ton of testing around the assets and the content that we share externally on our different channels and different platforms. And once again, I'm speaking about very specific audiences here. This is senior engineering and data science audiences. We recently ran an A-B test uh, using different visual assets, one which had a software engineer photographed on the top of it, and the other which just had some really beautiful, clean code. And we put them both out exactly the same time, lined them up, like, lined it up like a perfectly run A-B test. And actually, the amongst this specific audience, the one with the uh, really clean, beautiful code, I think outperformed the people mm. uh, post by about six times. Um, wow. I wonder yeah. if that's because it's just, you know, there's so many organizations that have an employer brand program now and are pushing out employee stories that mm -hmm. the other approach was more different and unique and kind of cut through the noise a little bit. Exactly. And you know what it's about? It's about the different audiences. You know, that wouldn't have worked with an uh, audience that wasn't this very, very niche specific audience. I think it's under, you know, and this is the whole kind of concept about this like qualitative research and running A-B testing because, you know, if you're, if you're not learning and if you're not running these tests and beginning to understand your audience and always learning, you're just continuing to like throw spaghetti at the wall and expect a different result, <laughs> right? Right. So, um, so yeah, like to, to be clear, that wouldn't necessarily work with every audience, but I think for these very senior engineers, seeing code resonated with them. It spoke to them. It mm. was something that they could see themselves in rather than a, a photo of somebody um, and a kind of quick, you know, text caption. So yeah, that was just a really interesting thing, that, like a result that we saw from one of our experiments. Um, and then in terms of content creation, we've taken a number of different approaches. So we have been really experimental. We've been really doubling down on our like faithful platforms where we see consistent ROI. Uh, so LinkedIn, of course. Um, so we'll be pushing out, you know, we continue to push out things like employee stories. For us, it's just been a case of becoming a lot more authentic and, you know, getting what we're given. So we'll ask for a quick snap of something uh, from that employee. And, you know, we might jazz it up a little bit. We might put, you know, we might put a, something on it or clean it up um, but we won't do too much for it, with it and we'll utilize that authentic videos we've been doing a ton of different uh, user-generated content from a video perspective which has been working really well uh, and it's been super quick super scrappy it's not this overly produced piece of content but it's been working really well and actually we ran another experiment this wasn't my team actually I think it was the the dev degree marketing team which is more of the intern level and they ran two separate videos one which was beautifully produced and I think two minutes long and one which was filmed by uh, one of the interns like on their day and it was I think 10 to 12 minutes long very very long for a video and it hugely outperformed the beautifully mm. produced video, which was really shocking. But I think this idea of authentic content is what pe really speaks to people and what they really yeah. care about. And then beyond that, you know, there's been there's been a ton of experimentation with different formats of content. So we've been utilizing Twitch, um, Reddit, uh, Hacker News, etc. Um, so there's not been any like we have our consistent series that we run. But on top of that, there's a ton of testing and experimentation that's happening in the background. And we'll either look at something and be like, mm, that was a massive fail, drop it. Or, there's, yeah. you know, this has been really, and that's fine, right? If yeah, for fails, sure. Cool, mm -hmm. fine. Or this looks, this looks like it has some legs. Let's, let's further test it and run it. But yeah, mm -hmm. it's, been a, it's been a multitude of different content. I think for us, one of the early, I think one of the early struggles was that we had dependencies on other teams to help us build things. And I'm sure that a number of teams feel this, you know, video editorial, graphic design, 
um, design skill in itself is hard if you don't have a dedicated human in your team to do that. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're super fortunate now that we've just had a UX team built alongside us dedicated to this work, which I know is wow. very, yeah, very, very lucky to have that because it's not the That's norm. That's phenomenal. Uh, yeah. But we are very, very content heavy. But but yeah, I think for us as well, like reducing dependencies, you know, I've been encouraging my team to get upskilled on things like video editing and Photoshop, which I, like I say, I'm very lucky I have such a curious and creative team who love to kind of dive in and learn as they go. But yeah, it's not been overly produced, the content. It's been a, you know, a case of testing, iterating, shipping or sunsetting and just that on a continuous rotation alongside our, you know, really well-established series and, and podcasts and things that we have running. Hmm. Yeah. And I think that's so important. Like I think for a long time, because employer branding and recruitment marketing were so new, many of us felt this pressure, like everything we did had to perform. But if you look at our peers in more traditional digital marketing roles, you know, they're A-B testing all the time. They're trying out new things. They're seeing what works. So I think that it's really refreshing. And I think a sign that we're maturing as a function and moving in the right direction to see more and more organizations um, adopting that sort of mindset and approach. Yeah, absolutely. And I think it's hard, right? Because it depends the industry you work in. I know that some industries, there's an incredible incredible amount of red tape. So you don't necessarily have that autonomy to, to flex those creative muscles and test as much. Um, it really does depend on, on, on you know, the company that you're in and how much investment there is into employer brand. You know, I've been so... I've been in admiration of our end leadership team for being so invested in this space and really like rolling up their sleeves. And, you know, we've been starting to test out on Clubhouse and we've got our Mm. engineering leadership team like running sessions on there. And the investment, like it really does take a business, right, to run something like this. We couldn't do it if we didn't have that buy-in. And and once again, that comes back to the fact that we now have a designer dedicated to our work and a front-end developer dedicated to employer brand work you know, you don't get those things without the investment from the rest of the business. So we've been incredibly fortunate that people understand the the value that this discipline brings. That's awesome. Well, it sounds like you have a really great sort of internal environment to succeed and do some some huge things when it comes to employer branding. So we might have to connect and have you on again in a, in a future season to, to hear about some of the other new initiatives that you kind of um, move towards in the future. Yeah, of course. Awesome. Well, in the interest of time, we will start to wrap things up. Is there anything that you'd want to share with our audience in terms of where they might find you online if they wanted to connect and follow along on the content you're creating and your career journey? Yeah, so uh, you can find me on LinkedIn. I'll be under Holly Middlemiss. And you can also find me on Twitter, which is Holly Middlemiss. Very original handles there. That's Um, great that she got the handle. (laughs) That can be (laughs) tricky. a long time ago. Shows my age. Yeah. (laughs) Well, amazing. Thank you so much for taking the time to chat with me today, Holly, and and for sharing all of your expertise and and creative approaches with our listeners. No problem. And thanks so much for inviting me on. Amazing. Hope to talk again soon. You too. Bye. Take care. And that's a wrap on this episode of the Employer Brand Shop Talk podcast. If you enjoyed today's episode, make sure to subscribe and give us a rating on your favorite podcast player. You can also sign up for a weekly newsletter at theemployerbrandshop.com forward slash newsletter and check us out on social at The Employer Brand Shop. We're on LinkedIn, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube, where we share more employer branding and recruitment marketing tips regularly. Thanks for tuning in and we hope you'll join us again next week to talk shop about all things employer brand.